0: Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained, Christians are encouraged, and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Bible Baptist Church. Dear Lord, thank you for uh, your Word. Thank you for an opportunity to open it tonight uh, with these people. Lord, I know... Um, many of them, and Lord, I know their heart for your word and for your people, Lord. Thank you for the encouragement they've been to me, and thank you for their desire uh, to know the word, and more importantly, even to know the God of the word, Lord. As we do that tonight, Lord, as we open your word, give us grace. Uh, Lord, I uh, think of Psalm 50 and Asaph um, and his message to those uh, that are Sinners, And he says, what right have you to open your, my statutes and declare my commands? And yet, that's sometimes how I feel, Lord, when I stand before a group of people. Lord, I have no right to open my mouth and, and try to share anything of my own wisdom, Lord. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Lord, tonight, thank you for salvation. Thank you that you are the friend of sinners, and that you have made it possible for us to be made right with you. Lord, give us ears to hear tonight as we open your word. Uh, Lord, give me uh, the words to say, to communicate um, your heart for sinners, Lord. In your name, amen. So I moved out to Texas, way west Texas. For those of you that are map people, I was about 30 minutes or so from the border of Mexico. So south, kind of southeast of El Paso along the border. So really close um, to Mexico. I've been out of the country I don't know 10 or 12 times this year um wait is this recorded six times (laughs) legally um but I was real close so it was basically like living in Mexico in a lot of ways it was um I we had restaurants in our town that only spoke Spanish and you had to go in and order and um they would call me guapo guapo (laughs) but they there's lots of places like that there was just a heavy Spanish influence there um so that was an aspect of our ministry um But basically how all this started is through the mission strips that you all um, kind of, maybe some of you were a part of a couple years ago, we've gone out twice with Taylor uh, to West Texas. At least I've gone out twice with him. Um, This is the area that Taylor spent a couple years after college working at, and it's some friends of his, um, the Bays family is who I was catching up with last fall as I was finishing up um, selling trailers there in Douglasville. And uh, um, my friend Jonathan and I were talking and he just said, man, I I have... um, it would be such a blessing if you would have the opportunity to come out here for a couple months or maybe a year or so just to come out and help out with the church here in Valentine. Um, he, had a, he has a company as well that he needed some uh, documentary photography work done as well. And so it was kind of a, it was just a good short-term fit. And so when that opportunity came up, I was like, sounds like a sounds like a wide open door. And I love the area out there. And I knew that Jonathan and his family were just faithfully serving there in West Texas, with very little help, um, so it was a really neat open door that the Lord provided there at the beginning of this year. So that's where I've been for the last eight months. Um, so my my job was, um, yeah, photography, videography for um, a big uh, National Science Foundation grant for some ranching technology. Um, so that was what was paying the bills. But I was at the same time the main reason I went out there was to help out at a little church called Valentine Community Church. Um, the church is about 25 to 30 people, uh, which is a, is a very small church to us, um, but it was in a town of 73, 74 people with me, sign says 73, and so a significant amount of the church, or the, the town, went to this church, and so it was a really, really neat uh, ministry. It's been since the late 1800s there in Valentine, Texas. In addition to that, there is a Bible study that they had started a few years back um, in Marfa, which is the next town over, and then... One more town east of that is a a town called Alpine, and it's a little bit bigger of a town. I think they even, some people call it a city. It's got like, I don't know, 3,000 people or something like that. Um, And there's a college there, and there's um, another home church out there. So there's lots of different small ministries in West Texas that I had the opportunity to just kind of um, tag along with and see how they're doing ministry. It's a lot different than we're used to here in the South. Um, Personally, I've spent all of my life on the East Coast, whether that's Indiana or uh, Georgia, and then down at Pensacola for school, and then up in North Carolina in the summers and Indiana. So um, that's all my experience in church ministry. And so I have loved the opportunity just to see a different part of the country and see how they're doing ministry out there. Um, Pensacola did not necessarily prepare me entirely for the way they do it out there. It's just, it's a different way of life. Lots of people there are traveling 50 or 60 miles every Sunday, just one way, to go to church, to go to the only Bible-preaching church within 60 miles. And so that's not like anything we have around here, right? We, we don't have to go very far to find people that are like-minded to us, but that's not the case out there. And, and in addition to that, they're dealing with lots of false teaching, um, and they're dealing, surprisingly, in Texas, there's a one of the towns, is a, there's a very large artist scene, and with that comes um, a lot of just really progressive, hyper-progressive liberal uh, philosophies. And so it's, um, politically speaking, it's, it's not necessarily like we're used to here in the South, but it's spiritually speaking, it is very, very cold and very isolated, and there are very few uh, that are holding to the true gospel. And so that, that is kind of the picture of the place that I've been at. Um, it is a it is a desert, but it is also a spiritual desert in a lot of ways. Um, but I had the opportunity we would go at least every month across the border to Mexico and we would work at a little orphanage there uh, and we would teach them teach the kids about the bible they would it was it was migrant children it was it was kids with single parent homes it was lots of kids that didn't even have parents at all and they uh, they would be dropped off or some of them would live there full time and so we would we would go in and we would bring food and we would uh, we would just teach, the. we'd bring instruments and we'd play guitar and we would teach them about the Bible. We'd teach them uh, Christian songs and we'd teach them verses. And we just got to know these kids there in in Mexico. So that was a, a part of my ministry and um, Ms. Pittman prepared me well, but I have not been reviewing very well. So that was a struggle. I have lost most, most of my high school Spanish, uh, but some of that started coming back. And uh, so basically just lots of opportunities out. It's a unique area in our country because you can live in america but basically travel out of the country on a daily basis to do missions work if you wanted to it's 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 kind of a cool place um i like i said i was really close to the border and so lots of that um just kind of affects the the ministry there so we had so many opportunities but unfortunately there's very few people out there that are are really doing the work of the ministry and so we were busy doing doing all kinds of different things Um, But one thing that I want to talk to to you all about this evening is just kind of one aspect of that um, that was present in all these different types of ministry opportunities, and that would be something that I guess probably we would know as relational evangelism. Um, It's kind of putting a title on something that um, doesn't necessarily have a title in the Bible. It's more of a a way of life in the Bible, but it's something that my dad and I have had some good conversations about, and he just said, "Maybe, maybe you could just kind of share some thoughts on that. And so... I spent some time for the last few weeks just um, kind of getting a, developing a um, philosophy on this from what the Bible says about how Jesus did ministry and how he did evangelism. There's lots of different ways as Christians that we can share the gospel, right? Um, churches are good. They're really creative about finding unique opportunities to share the gospel. Um, many of you have done things like door-to-door, right? Probably almost all of us have at some point in our life done what we call door-to-door, where we just, well, go door-to-door with either tracks or something we could leave at the door or maybe even knocking and trying to engage conversations with people um, that we haven't ever met yet. And and that's been historically a big part of probably Southeastern uh, churches and their, their attempt, their kind of their focus of evangelism has been during kind of methods like that. In addition to that, um, bus routes. Uh, many of you have been Raised, uh, helping out on bus routes, or maybe I, I've I've met some people that really came to the Lord through a bus route. As as a child, their parents just said, "All right, there's a bus, get on it," and thankfully it took them to the church and not somewhere else. And they they heard about Jesus. That's one way that uh, Southern churches and uh, churches that I've been have done evangelism. Um, lots of different different ways. I'm trying to think. Um, fair evangelism. What about that community events we've done recently? We've been doing the maker's market, things like that. There's lots of different ways that we can communicate the gospel. And that's what all these are, right? That's an, it's an attempt to, to take the message of the Bible to people that haven't heard or as of yet have not responded to it. That's really all evangelism is. It's, it's the Great Commission. It's us going and teaching and going and telling those who don't know the gospel. But we have put a kind of a term on a certain style of evangelism, I guess, if you will, um, it's kind of this idea of going and telling. It's just as you're going, you're telling people about, about the Lord. And um, the way this kind of became real to me and uh, the way that it began to have an impact in my life was when I was in college, um, I was studying to be in the ministry, um, and I was taking lots of Bible classes. And one of the one of the passages that we had to memorize as um, ministry uh, students was 1 Timothy 3. Obviously, the qualifications of an, of an elder, right? And, and so verse 1 and 2, this is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given a hospitality, apt to teach. Then it continues with several other uh, pretty high qualifications that we're looking for, right, when we're looking for somebody to fill the pulpit in a ministry. And so as a person preparing for that job, I was thinking, well, these obviously need to be true of me, um, and, I, and I began to think about all of these things one after another, and I, I came to the last one in verse 7, and it's one that um, I had not heard many people ever speak about in churches that I had been. I, I, had, I had read these verses all my life, but I didn't remember seeing this verse before, and it says this in verse 7, "'Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without.'" It's this idea that, yes, there's qualifications inside the church. Man, he needs to be this kind of a man. As you look at somebody that is in your church or maybe he's serving in another church, you're looking for these things in his life. But the last one has to do less with you all and more with basically everybody that are without or outside of this building right now. A good reputation of those people that are actually not church members. He needs to have a good reputation in his community. And obviously, that requires a person to be known in his community, right? It's hard to have a reputation if nobody knows you outside of these walls. At the time that I read this, I, was, um, I had the opportunity in college to run heavy equipment at a, at, at a landscaping supply company off campus. And I wasn't making hardly any money. And it was dirty, messy work. But I, I enjoyed it. And one of the things I enjoyed the most was the people I worked with. Um, now, they were not believers. I, I maybe worked with one believer in my entire time there, my three years or so working at that place. Um, so everybody else was just blue collar, uh, as I guess is popular now, salt of the earth kind of guys, right? Like that's, those were the guys I was working with. They were, they were hard workers. They were hard partiers, right? They, they were just good guys to be around. They were fun, but they were, yeah, definitely not by any stretch of the imagination, uh, church members or who we would see as Christians. And I read this verse and I was thinking, well, I, I am in the community at least. Like I, I do have a job in the world and what is my reputation like? And so I began to see that job um, as just kind of my mission field. I, I went to, co- I lived with a bunch of Christians. I went to school with a bunch of Christians. I went to church with Christians. Um, I mean, I ate with Christians. Like I, I, that was pretty much all of my life except this kind of one avenue where I would be around everybody that was not a Christian, and so um, I began to see that as like this, I want to see if I can, I can see these people as, as my, you know, called ministry for these few years, and after a while, they began to see me as, I was, I was the youngest guy that worked there, but they called me Pastor Ethan, Pastor Ethan, (laughs) because I, I was just, they knew I was trying to be in ministry, and studying, and they, they, it was, it was a really neat experience, and a kind of a, experiment in a lot of ways, because it was one of my first times really just um, kind of playing the long game and just seeing how I could develop relationships um, with a gospel focus. But it's a little different when it's somebody that you're seeing every day, and more importantly is seeing you every day, right? And so that was, there's some challenges with that, because you have hard days, you have good days, but you have days where you have to do things that you don't want to do, or maybe there's things going on outside of work, but every day you show up, your life is kind of on display uh, among the world. And so the Lord used that in my life to confirm the importance and the value of, I guess, of what we're going to call tonight relational evangelism. It's this basically just doing life in your community. And as you do that, um, the Lord opening doors for the gospel as he sees fit. It's not this, I'm going to go walk to a neighborhood that I've never been to and I'm knocking on their door and I'm going to share them a track. It's it's a little different than that because you're seeing a person that you know you're going to be seeing long term. You're going to at least be seeing them for the next few weeks, if not months and years. And so you go about it a little bit differently. And so I have I am by no means an expert on this. Um, when I was asked to talk about this, I'm I'm you, many of you have been doing this all of your lives, and that's a big reason why I have have seen. It. I've been I've been able to see it in your lives, and I've been able to kind of just watch you guys demonstrate that in your own uh, relationships outside of this church and your own coworkers, and your own family members that may be unsaved. And so I'm just going to share what I've learned from experience and from what I see in the Bible about how Jesus did evangelism. And hopefully by the end of this, it'll kind of give us a little bit more information and maybe just uh, an encouragement to take more opportunities like this. So lots of scripture we're going to go in. We're not going to be in one main passage tonight, um, because there's no one passage in the Bible where it says, do relational evangelism, and this is how you do it in Henry County, Georgia. So we're going to take, we're going to kind of lean heavily throughout the Gospels and in different passages, um, but I'm going I'm to share, I'd love to share with you more stories than we have time for, but um, I won't. Um, but the Lord has used this type of evangelism specifically, where I've lived in West Texas, um, to to help others come to a better understanding of what the gospel is and uh, to, to help them see their need for a savior. Um, when I think of Texas, I'm, I've been back for about two weeks and I'm still in that transition where I'm getting used to, I don't know, being around stoplights again and traffic and things like that that I haven't been around. But when I think about Texas, um, the first thing that's coming to my mind for the last few weeks is people's names. Um, I think of I think of people like Sterling. Um, Sterling is the owner of a coffee shop that I got to know pretty well because I like coffee. And uh, and, he, and it was a great place to go and do computer work, which I had a lot of. And so I would go to Sterling's coffee shop. And early on, I met this guy. He's an unbeliever. He's about 30 years old. And uh, he has pretty much rejected everything about the Bible. But he sat at the other end of a counter and had many conversations with me about the Bible. Um, I, think of, I think of Ellis, um, a, a man I also met over the uh, lunch table um, at a coffee shop. We were we were sharing work, and it was a busy day. And he I invited him to sit down. And Ellis is is a, a guy that has lived much of his life without Christ. He was raised Catholic and and stepped away from that, and went through a divorce, and is now living alone and trying to answer a lot of the big questions in life. Um, and he is trying to do that apart from community, apart from uh, Christianity, and, and he knows some about the Bible, but he doesn't really know what the gospel is, what the true gospel is. And so I think of, I think of Ellis. He's coming to my mind. He, he sent me a text before I got in tonight. Um, Ellis is a guy that now is faithfully attending a Bible study in Marfa as a result of just conversations across the coffee table, um, just talking and doing life together and sharing uh, evenings together and um, opening the Word together. Um, I think of I think of Fatima, another one that I met in, in a in a small town that um, is still searching. And she was raised um, Muslim, and she is trying to trying to understand in light of current events what what it looks like to be a Christian and how to reconcile that with her upbringing and what the differences are. I think of I think of Grace, who was raised um, completely away from anybody that would be remotely a Christian. Um, among uh, very, very progressive parents in progressive schools, and she told me last year, if this time last year she said, I would not have even been willing to talk to a Christian. And now Grace is halfway through a study of the book of First John, and she's attended a church, and she's gotten to know believers, and now she is trying to understand what the gospel is, and how it can be relevant to her life and how she can reconcile that with 20-some years of teaching against the Bible. And now she's realizing that there may be something more than what she's been taught. And she has a hunger to know God for who he really is. These are the names that come to my mind when I think of Texas. And so as we consider what it looks like um, to to, to do relational evangelism, um, the question I started out with in my mind is, I was thinking through this, is, well, I think it's really important to know what Christ did. What, how did he live when he was on this earth, right? How did, he, how did he share the gospel? I don't know that we talk about that too often. Um, we, we often talk about what, you know, the church down the road is doing to, to spread the gospel because we're all about methods and we're all about results, right? And some of those things are very natural Uh, things, and I think there's benefit in all of that. But I was like, well, let's take a a couple steps back and just see. Um, Obviously, it was a couple thousand years ago, and so our culture's a little bit different, and um, maybe the ways that we can reach people have changed a a little bit. I understand. Even in my lifetime, I've seen certain methods of the gospel, of sharing the gospel become less effective, and some become more effective. But how did Christ do it? Um, Some of you probably have already thought through this and have some answers, Um, but let's look at um, Luke chapter four. If you have your Bibles, my question, how did Jesus walk when he lived on this earth? Luke chapter four and verse 18, this is when Jesus steps um, up on the Sabbath and he reads um, from the Old Testament and he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted." To preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them who are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and he sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. All bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Jesus did ministry unconventionally. Most of the people that were upset with Jesus throughout his ministry were the religious leaders. (laughs) Um, in In our day and age, that would be the leaders of churches, right? The pastors or maybe the pope. Those are the people that were speaking out against the way Jesus did ministry. Um, which is unique because, again, we know that Jesus was doing it right. He was, whatever, we, whatever he did, whatever methods that he did, we can be confident that his methods were the right methods, right? We, we can be sure that he was doing the good thing. And so um, as we begin to look at the issues that the religious leaders had with his ministry, a lot of it comes back to um, this accusation, and it's found also in Luke and a few other places. But they said, this Jesus... Is a friend of sinners. They accused him of being a friend of sinners. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and just the first four verses here, it says this, Then drew near unto him, Jesus, all the publicans, or tax collectors, and the sinners, for to hear him. Then the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners. And eats with him. Or really what it was was, this man, this man is, do you see that? He's receiving sinners. He's eating. And of course, Jesus knows and he can hear and probably didn't even have to read their minds. He probably could see these guys in the back of the room whispering, just like I remember my fourth grade teacher, Miss Thompson, being able to hear me in the back row. That's what was going on here. He's these, these guys, these religious leaders are saying, do you see who he invited to this meal? Do you see who's here? But what does the first verse say? I love this. The first verse says, Then drew near unto him all the tax collectors and the sinners for to hear him. And then he said this in verse 3, He spake this parable unto them after he heard what the Pharisees were saying. He said in verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and the nine in the wilderness? And go after that which is lost until he find it. And what precedes this verse are three parables about people who lost something that they dearly loved. And it's the story of how they recovered it and how they found it and what happened when they did and the rejoicing that came. And he says in verse 7 of Luke chapter 15, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven, over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance. He said, I am a friend of sinners. I am a friend of sinners. And throughout the Gospels, there's this accusation over and over again um, by the people that were near him, including even the disciples. Um, I think of John chapter 4, when he is sharing the gospel with the woman at the well. And I love this passage. It's, um, one of my favorite in the whole book of John. And, and, and he said to the disciples, I must need to go through Samaria. And he went because he knew that there was gonna be one person, that he knew that there was gonna be a woman at the well at the wrong time. And he knew that she was gonna be the wrong person to talk to. But he said, I have to go to talk to this one. And his disciples left and she came and he began to dialogue with her. And, and he told her at the end of this conversation, she says to him, well, I know that the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to straighten all this out. And he says, I that speak unto thee am he. And the next verse says that his disciples came, and they marveled that he was talking to that woman. <laughs> They're like, why is he talking to her? Doesn't he know? And that's not the only time this happened. I, I read another passage. Um <laughs> Mark 2, if you're, if you're in Mark, Mark chapter 2, verse 15. It came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For they were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 7, a woman of the streets comes in and begins to anoint Jesus' head with oil. And then, when the Pharisee which had bidden him or invited him to the meal saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman. That is, that that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And the beauty of the gospel is that more than anyone else in the room, Jesus did know what kind of a woman that was. I am so thankful that Jesus is a friend of sinners, because more than any of you in this room, Jesus knows the extent of my wickedness. He's the only one that knows my heart, and yet still he chose to love me and to come and go the distance, the distance that I could not travel. I could not come to him, so he he came to me long before I ever loved him. He loved me. Jesus is a friend of sinners, and for that we rejoice because we are the sinners. The Pharisee looked at him and he said, if this man was a real, if he was a real prophet, he would know who he's talking to because that woman, let me tell you, I've seen who she hangs out with. That, I've seen what, I've heard what she does. She is a sinner. And she came to him and he said that her sins were forgiven because her faith had done so. Jesus knew who the sinners were and he said, I have come for the sinners. I've not come for the righteous. I've come for the sinners. And so, as we consider evangelism, and as we consider the Great Commission, as we consider our responsibility as believers to this great calling, we need to know Jesus' philosophy on evangelism. You see, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is what they did not know. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You know that Jesus' ministry was to the lost sheep. He was coming to those. Now, yes, He preached and He taught and He dialogued with the religious leaders, but He went searching for the ones that were the outcasts, the ones that were living in sin, the ones that had rejected Christian or religion, the Jewish faith, the ones that had turned their back on God, he went and he sought them out. And he showed them the extent of his love for them. And those were not the only people that Jesus talked to. But I want us to be confident that Jesus came looking for people like that. And I want us to consider our own lives and see the kinds of people that we are seeking relationships with. If all the people in your friend group look just like you and talk just like you and think just like you, um, you're pretty much just friends with yourself. (laughs) Jesus did not come looking for the people that were like him. Jesus came looking for the people that needed him. Why is it that Jesus attracted sinners? Have you ever wondered that? In those verses that we read, many of them came to him. They were following him. They were coming to eat at his table. Why did Jesus attract sinners? And you may be asking yourself the next logical question, why do I not attract sinners? And I think these are good questions for us to ask. But is it because he neglected to tell them about their sin? Is that true? Did Jesus just not tell them about their sin and so he had lots of friends that were sinners? I don't think so. I think Jesus was very clear in the message of the gospel. I think Jesus very clearly show, showed people their need for a Savior. He was not silent on the matter of sin. Is it because he affirmed the lives that they had chosen, the lives of rebellion against God? No, Jesus was not affirming sinners. That's not the answer to, to bring sinners into a relationship with him. Is it because he was a fellow sinner? No. No. None of these reasons are why Jesus attracted sinners. But in our minds, we think that if we're attracting sinners, we are going to have to affirm their sin, or we're going to have to ignore their sin at least, or we're going to have to to even sin with them in order to be friends with sinners. But Jesus demonstrated that you do not have to sin with sinners to eat with sinners. You do not have to give in to the methods of the world to reach the world. You can be separate and distinct. You can be of the world, you can be in the world, but not of the world, I should say. You can be separate from their life, but you can be investing in the lives of sinners. Why did Jesus attract sinners? It is because, as his disciples said, you have the words of life. You see, the people that followed Jesus were convinced of one thing. This man knows and cares about me. You know, it's one thing to care about somebody, but it's another thing to know about somebody and still care about them. And that was Jesus. The woman at the well walked away and she told her townspeople that this man told me everything I have ever done. Come and see this man. Come and see this man who knows me and still loves me. Come and meet him, for he has changed my life. I want to ask you for sake of discussion, to consider how Jesus would live in Henry County if he moved here tomorrow. Now, the Bible does not tell us how he would live in Henry County, Georgia in 2023 if he moved here tomorrow morning. But what do you think, based on what we know to be true about how he lived his life in the Gospels, I'm curious what kind of a life Jesus would have led here in Henry County. Because if we are Christians we are called to live like Him. And that is a verse that I, I didn't read at the very beginning. There's many verses that address this. But one that I want to point you to is First John. First John chapter 2. Um, it says this, He that says, I know Him, and keeps not His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But who keeps His word, in Him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. He that says he abides in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Okay, summary of this verse. If you say that you're abiding in Christ, you should be walking like Christ walked. Okay, we have just seen some pictures, some stories, uh, some conversations about how Christ walked, While he, literally while the way that he walked on this earth. Okay, so we have a better idea of how he walked, and we just see in 1 John that if we are claiming to have fellowship with him, if we are abiding in him, we should be walking, well, like Christ walked, right? That's the idea of being a Christian. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. If we're going to follow Christ, we have to know the direction he was going. We have to know how he was walking. And so we've seen how he was walking, but how would he walk if he lived in Henry County? And obviously, as a result, how should we walk? I've been pondering this question, and I've been, I've been asking myself how I would respond if Jesus showed up and started just doing life here in Henry County. I don't know. A lot of this is, again, the Bible's not telling me exactly what he would do if he lived in Hampton or if he moved to Hampton. But I wonder what our response would be. Did you see that person he was talking to? Did you see that person that came to church with Jesus last week? I walked by, I walked by that pew and I saw needle tracks in her arm and I saw slits on her wrist. What was she doing here? She's not supposed to be here. Did you see the house that Jesus bought? Doesn't he know he's on the wrong side of Jodico Road? (laughs) He's not supposed to live over there. I saw his car parked in a bad neighborhood the other day. I hope he knows what he's doing. Let's not invite Jesus over today to dinner. I know we've had him over, but you just never know who he's going to bring with him. When you invite Jesus to your house, I don't know if we want to bring his friends into our house. I believe that if Jesus moved to Henry County, we may say the same things that the Pharisees said. This man receives sinners and he eats with him. His friends are all sinners. I don't know what it is about this guy, but they're all sinners. These people that are following this man around. If he knew who they really were, he wouldn't be talking to them. I wonder what our response would be if Jesus moved to Henry County tomorrow and started doing life. Jesus knew that he could never reach a world that he never touched. And so he went the distance, and he came to this world that is broken by sin And he knew that the answer was not universal acceptance and ignoring sin, but he knew that sinners needed a face to tell them the truth. They needed someone to sit across the table and tell them about the words of life. If we want to see our neighbors saved, we have to know our neighbors. If we want to reach a world with the gospel, we have to be in it. Jesus knew that his neighbor needed to be saved, but he knew he had to know him. He knew that his neighbor needed to become his friend so that his friend could be made part of the family of God. There's a process, and it's different for every person, but in my experience, far more people are willing to listen to a message about the gospel if they know who you are. In my experience, that has been the case had somebody visit a church after several months of conversations not a lot of invitations to church by me they knew who I was they knew that I was a Christian that I that I teach at a church in the next town over Um, but we just talked a lot about life and we talked a lot about the Bible and they had a lot of questions about the Bible and then one day they said I want to come to church with you tomorrow and they came and something I'd never heard before they left the church and after I asked him what they thought about it, and he said, I've never been to a church that I felt before I even went in that I could trust the person. And that was the first time that's ever happened to me. And it's not because I'm doing anything incredible. I just I just was sharing life with this individual and they got to see me outside of church and without a tie on, right? And they they then had the opportunity to walk in one day and hear the gospel. Preached because the gospel was preached, but they heard it from somebody they knew and somebody that they trusted for a change. Friends, if your neighbors don't even know your name, how are we expecting that they will ever know his name? I read a statistic about Georgia. I I read that 79% of Georgians claim to be Christians. That is a lot of people. I mean, we're like up there, like top five, I think, of all the states in America. But I have been consistently surprised in Henry County when I meet an unbeliever, almost every single time that I meet an unbeliever, they do not have a single close Christian friend. I know some of this stuff is hard, and I don't want this to feel like it's like I'm um, attacking or any anyway, like that. But I, I sense that there's a genuine desire for all of us to see people come to Christ. I, I know that to be true about you all. But the question is always, how do we accomplish this? How do we, how do we take the message from the pulpit to our neighbors? How do we get the message to them? Because it seems like a really difficult and complicated thing and People go, they travel out of their state to go to evangelistic conferences to learn how to share the gospel. And I've, I've sat through some of those conferences and I've sat through some of the training and I've gone through handbooks and I've learned and there's lots of value in that. But I've found that one of the most effective ways to share the gospel for me is just getting to know people and establishing very early on um, that I'm a believer and that this is a really important thing to me and that they have somebody that they can talk to Anytime they have questions about the Bible, and almost every single time they do have questions about the Bible, they have waited for somebody to come and be a friend that is available to them. I make it a point to tell them the gospel, but I also make it a point to show them the gospel, and a lot of times that's in kind of unconventional ways. Um, many of you, I've seen this in your life too, in your neighbors' lives, and in your coworkers' lives, and. And going to hospitals when, um, when you hear of somebody in need and, and going and visiting prisons and going to the rescue mission. For me, sometimes that looks like grabbing a coworker's keys and going to wash their car at, over lunch break. Knowing that I've communicated the gospel, but I also have a responsibility to show them the gospel. And I think we lack a little bit in that sometimes. You can't do that very easily on the doorstep of a stranger's house. It's really hard to Show them the gospel when you just knocked on their door and you knocked on their neighbor's door and you knocked on their... So I think this is one of the best ways to get in, really to reach the heart. And so I, I think one of the biggest failures of relational evangelism... There, I watched a video the other day. Um, what is relational evangelism and why you should avoid it? I was like, I'm going to watch this. <laughs> um, but one of the main criticisms is um, often there are people that... Um, Will kind of adopt this method, and they will get to know an unbeliever, and they will start doing things regularly with this person. And they um, weeks will go go by, months will go by, years will go by, hoping that one day this person trusts me enough to ask me about the Bible. And you look back, and you've known an unbeliever for three years, and you've never had a gospel conversation. They may not even know you're a Christian. That's not relational evangelism. That's not evangelism at all. That's that's neglecting evangelism. Um, the, the purpose of evan- of relational evangelism is as you get to know people in, in your community, as you see them on a regular basis, um, you are establishing early on that you are a Christian, and that, again, the gospel is a really important thing, and it's not just important for you, it's important for everybody, and seeking intentionally to lead conversations back to the gospel. Um, again, there's so many ways to do this, and So many that I I wish I could just sit up here and kind of take notes as to what's worked for you all because I'm learning, like every time I do this, every time I enter into a new relationship with somebody, I'm realizing how little I know about doing this and how many creative ways that can, can be done. I've seen people do this in, I mean, I have a friend that goes to a thrift store every week. Um... One, they, they don't hardly make it into town ever in, in Texas, in West Texas, there. But every time they do, they go to the thrift store and they talk to the lady and they pray with the lady every time there that's working at the thrift store. That's relational evangelism. And she comes. And about four weeks ago, the lady, her daughter, was diagnosed with a, a brain tumor. And about four or five days after that, um, that same lady, Um, was first on the scene of a really, really messy accident where somebody lost their life. And they were just broken over this. And they say, who am I going to call? Who am I going to talk to after this happens? Well, they're calling the person, that one lady that comes to visit the thrift store every Wednesday, right? That's the person they think of. When tragedy comes, when crisis comes, I'm calling that person that prays with me every time they come to the thrift store. That's That's relational evangelism. That is, it is sowing seeds for the gospel in your daily life. It's not, it's not this formal. On Thursday nights, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do evangelism, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go take a lot of tracks, and I'm going to go pass them out. That's great, and I think many people have come to the Lord through that. Matter of fact, my grandpa got saved by a track that he found in a bathroom, right? Um, and and that's incredible. That's the Lord is still using those things. But as we are going, we need to realize that evangelism is not a, a switch that we flip on and flip off, we schedule in. This is something that you just do as you do life. As we talk to people, the Lord is opening up doors for the gospel. Are we taking them? We have a few minutes left. No, we don't, but I'm gonna take a few more minutes. Is that okay with you all? <laughs> I'll wrap it up here quickly. For the rest of the time, I'm gonna talk to those of you who are called to missions work, okay? So if you're not called to missions work, you can Ignore the rest of this. Okay, you can take a few minutes. Take a few minutes break. Um, three things that I want us to establish here um, from the Bible before we, all, and then I'll share just a couple of really practical things that have helped me. Um, and I want to hear after the message from you guys. Um, anybody that's kind of learned some things that would be a blessing in this. Um, first question is, we need to determine whether or not we're called to this ministry. I kind of alluded to this. I said, um, if you're if you're called to, to missions, some of you may be thinking that, man, I. I have sensed the Lord's leading in my life um, to missions work. I have, I have maybe been to a missions conference where I really felt like the Lord was speaking to me, or maybe it's something that you're just unsure of still. Um, I'm going to tell you, uh, I'll just share with you a verse that we all know, Matthew 28:19. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Many of you know that verse, probably most of you could have quoted it when we were doing scripture earlier. Um, So if you're wondering whether or not you're called into missions, um, the answer is yes. (laughs) And the answer is yes for every single one of us, okay? Um, I'm hesitant about this idea that um, we're praying for people to be one day called into missions and so that they can go and do missions work. Um, If you're saying, well, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. um, My question would be to you, where are you living right now? Okay, it's, it's Hampton, it's McDonough. All right, um, that's your mission field. I know that the Lord may move us in more intentional ways down the road into more focused um, seasons of ministry, but right now, I'm just gonna, we'll just make it real simple here. If you live in Henry County, you are a Henry County missionary, and if you read that verse, and if you're a Christian, you are qualified. This, if you're looking for a sign, this is your sign. If you're looking for a calling, this is, this is your calling. Whether you're a plumber, whether you're an accountant, a pipe fitter, all of these things. You are a missionary in Henry County, if that's where you live, and if you are a Christian. God has called every single one of us. We do not go to the church to pay other people to go do the work of evangelism. We come to the church and fellowship with other believers and are encouraged and exhorted to go out ourselves and do this, so every single one of us. So the first question was determine whether or not you are called to this ministry. If you are a born-again believer, I'll just make it easy, you are called to this ministry, um, The next question I would say that we have to determine is we got to determine to know what is wrong with the world. Um, If we are to, so one of the things that comes is people say, well, I'm not supposed to love the world or the things that are in the world. So how can I do that and relational evangelism? What is wrong with the world? Um, The Times in 1910 um, asked asked a question. They ran a series of articles by writers and thinkers and they asked what was wrong with the world. They would just send somebody a letter and they would ask them. In response, G.K. uh, Chesterton wrote to the newspaper and he said this, Dear sirs, I am. That's the answer to that question, friends. But it's so easy for us to come to this place and to be with good people that look good and they dress good and talk right and talk clean and to see what's outside those doors as the problem with the world. My sin is the sin that kept me out of heaven. My sin is why Jesus had to come to this earth and to die on a cross. It was my sin. It was not not Lovejoy's sin. It was not Hampton's sin. It It was my sin, friends. We have to be convinced of that if we are going to love the world that we are living in. The sin that is in me is the sin that has separated me from God. The sin that is in me is why I deserve eternal punishment. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul said that, and tonight I'm saying that, and before we do evangelism, we need to say that. We need to recognize that it is my sin. Um, we are sinners saved by grace, and that is the only reason we have a seat at the table. Um, one more, we need to determine to live in the world, but not of it. One important distinction that needs to be made um, before we consider this relational evangelism, um, Jesus, Jesus ate with sinners, but he did not sin with sinners, okay? There's a difference. Um, you can eat with sinners and not sin with sinners. Um, Jesus lived an entire life without sin, and so we can be confident that it is, it is possible to, to be around sinners and not be sinning with sinners, um, I could tell you stories about opportunities. It's something about the dinner table that there's just open doors for the gospel. I don't know what it is, but that's, that's a kind of just helpful piece of advice I've found in my own life. Inviting people to, to a meal is a great way. And Jesus did a lot of that. Uh, they followed him around and they ate with him, um, but he did not sin with sinners. Um, we are to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Okay, and just a couple more things before we wrap up. These are just some really quick um, shotgun style. If you want to take some notes, Practical things that have helped me as I have tried to do uh, relational evangelism. We're out of time. Um, I'll wrap up here in the next two or three minutes here. Um, one thing that's really helpful, names are important. Guys, names are so important. As you're, as you're out meeting people, um, Paul mentions over 76 people by name in his letters. 76 people that he knew, prayed for, and had invested in. 76. And obviously, he knew many more than that. But by name, you just read through all these people that he knew and was exhorting and encouraging Um, everywhere I've lived, well, okay, raise your hand if you're really naturally good with names. Okay, okay, we got one or two, two, okay, raise your hand if you're naturally not good with names. There should be a lot of hands here, okay, okay, my hand is with you. Um, What are you doing to help you remember people's names? If you're naturally not good at it, do you have um anybody just toss out an idea that you've done to help you remember names. It can be just real simple stuff. Ask my question. <laughs> All right, I'll have to try that one. Anybody else? <laughs> Write it down. Is that what I heard? Yeah? That's what I do. I every county that I've lived in for the last couple of years, I have lists that just are ever growing of people that every time I every time I have a meaningful conversation with somebody, their name goes down and a couple just Help, ways for me to help remember who they were. Um, and often we, uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I'm trying to go quick here. Um, okay, so names, really important. Um, I think it was, oh, who was it? Um, How to Win Friends at Carnegie said, a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. So just a helpful conversation hack. Um, remember people's names. Um, consistency in your schedule creates gospel opportunities. And you may be saying, I am disqualified <laughs> if it is consistency that is creating gospel conversations. Um, now, you don't have to have it. Obviously, the Lord opens doors in really mysterious ways sometimes. Um, but if there is one part of your schedule that you can say, every week I'm going to, I, I'm really busy, I got kids, I have a job, I'm working 50, 60 hours a week, but, but every time I, I, maybe I, maybe I buy a coffee Tuesday mornings on my way into work, every week, every um, week. That's that's good enough. That is enough of a window that you can say, I'm gonna use this time, this Tuesday morning uh, Starbucks run. I'm gonna stop going through the drive-thru and I'm gonna spend 20 minutes in that Starbucks every Tuesday morning. Consistency creates gospel opportunities. You will know the people that work Tuesday mornings. You will know the people that come in Tuesday mornings. And even if it's 20 minutes, you will have familiar faces every time. That is key. Go to the same place, say, say, Friday nights, so we're gonna do a pizza night with our family. We're going to, we can't afford to eat out much, but we're gonna do pizza every Friday night or every other Friday night. You get to know the workers that work there every Friday, the families that take their kids there every Friday night. That's enough to create opportunities. You see a face the next week and you say, hey, I saw you in here last week. Do you guys come here often? That kind of thing, just starting that consistency is really key in developing um, gospel conversations. Um, details matter, kind of like the names. Remember things like kids' names, remember pets' names, Um, kids birthdays remember their job titles that's a really that's a really hard one for me I like can know a person for like years and honestly have no idea what they do for a living and at some point you're just kind of afraid to ask so that's a great thing jot it down next to their name Um, so and we talked about this relational evangelism does not mean waiting for months or years to bring up the gospel I make a I make a rule for myself Anytime I have a meaningful conversation, I determine before I leave that conversation, if at all possible, they're going to know that I am a Christian. Um, now, I have it a little easy because I, I say that I'm an occupational Christian, kind of to people like you who would understand that. Um, I am preaching. I'm teaching. I'm working often for churches or ministries. And so that's an easy way. People say, what do you do for a living? And I say, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm helping do the, te- I, I help uh, the teaching at, at this little community church over in Valentine, that kind of a thing. So... Um, Share, I I make it a point though, to early on say that I am a Christian because friends, if this is a really important thing in your life, like it should be, um, if you go a year, two, three years and this person you've been investing in doesn't even know you're a Christian, at year three, you tell them, by the way, I'm a Christian. I'd love for you to to come to church with me. They'd be like, okay, obviously, this is a very insignificant aspect of your life. If you waited three years to tell me this, you know? So make it a point early on. um, And a couple more Times of crisis and times of celebration create fertile ground for gospel seeds. Okay, times of crisis, times of celebration. Um, Really great opportunities. Um, Time and availability are critical ingredients to successful gospel relationships. If you say, I don't have time, this is something we have to make time for. I know that pretty much every single person in this room is busier than I am right now. Most of you have kids, most of you have responsibilities, full-time jobs, sometimes multiple jobs, we need to create windows in our schedule where we can do this. Um, doesn't mean you have to spend every day in a coffee shop by any means, but saying, hey, what can I do? What portion of my schedule can I give to this, this effort? Um, and one more thing, I'm just gonna say, this is the last one. Um, offering to pray for people's needs um, at the end of the conversation is a really easy way. Have you ever had a meaningful conversation with somebody? You never brought the gospel up, but, but you felt like you made a good connection with somebody, a stranger, and um, you just didn't have an opportunity. It didn't feel natural to like introduce the gospel. Um, I have found that say you're chatting with somebody and, and you're walk, you gotta go and you say, hey, man, it's been great. It's been great chatting with you. It's been cool to get to know you. I'd love to see you again. Um, but before I go, I'm a believer and I just wanted to ask if there's something I could pray for you about. That doesn't feel unnatural. That doesn't feel... Um, forced most of the time. Almost any conversation can end with that. So if you if you just say, I want to establish that I'm a Christian, that's a really easy way to do it. Um, and it's a great way to actually stop right there and pray with them. They will remember that. If somebody takes time to pray with them in a public place, they will remember you. And the next time you see them, they will, if you remember their name and you start chatting with them, again, we are opening the door to the gospel in a lot of ways. We have some control over that in our life. So this was not an exhaustive list. It may have felt exhausting, hopefully not. Um, but just a few practical, helpful things that I have seen the Lord use in my life. And uh, I think for the furtherance of the gospel, every relationship in your life, um, the person should know more about God as a result of your input in their life. And consider that. Consider the people that you're investing in right now for the sake of the gospel. Jesus is a friend of sinners and I believe that we should be as well. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.